DiscerningHearts.com presents a very special edition of Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and we are delighted to bring back a conversation we had with Dr. Adrian Walker on Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI's Jesus of Nazareth. Dr. Walker is currently a professor of philosophy and dogmatics at St. Patrick's Seminary in Menlo Park, California. He has taught theology and philosophy at the Catholic University of America School of Theology and Religious Studies and the Pontifical John Paul II Institute for Studies on Marriage and Family. He's the editor of Communio, the International Catholic Review. With Dr. Adrian Walker, we once again explore the teachings of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI's Jesus of Nazareth, published by Ignatius Press. Adrian, thank you so much for joining me. Chris, thank you so much for inviting me. We're recording this on the first day of the Year of Faith. That's correct. The celebration of the anniversary of the opening of Vatican II, and also the gift from the Congregation on the Doctrine of the Faith of what would become the Catechism of the Catholic Church. That's right. That's right. So it's a very auspicious occasion. And to be able to speak with you about a very personal work that Pope Benedict XVI has penned and given out to the world. He said it's not, it's not necessarily a writing that has the weight of, say, an encyclical or any of those type of documents, mm-hmm. but a very personal gift of the reflections right. on the life of Jesus of Nazareth, which you translated for the Holy Father. Well, that's right. I, I translated the first volume, which was a wonderful experience for me precisely because it was an opportunity to come into contact with first of all the the figure of Christ himself the Lord but also uh, with Pope Benedict who shows himself in this book uh, to be not only a man of God and he is that a great man of prayer but also a man in whom we hear the voice of the Catholic tradition, which, as we know, is the guardian of the scriptures, is the guardian of the Gospels, which tell us about the life of Jesus. So in that sense, it was a, it was a great privilege. And I think you're right. Uh, Benedict does see this as a personal work. I mean, it's certainly something that he's wanted to do for a long time. It's an opportunity also for a great scholar to think through certain issues uh, in biblical exegesis and so forth. But as I say, it's personal in a in a very particular way because it isn't just sort of the self-expression of an individual. You know, to put it in colloquial English, mm-hmm. uh, some guy expressing his opinions. He's not speaking, of course, as the successor of Peter, but he is speaking as a man of the church whose mind, whose heart, whose whole way of being has been shaped by the church, has been shaped by profound study of the Catholic tradition, uh, all in an atmosphere of prayer. And so there's something here that transcends sort of the merely individual, so that this is a work that I think takes its place uh, alongside real classics of, of the Catholic tradition. I brought up the the date and time in which we're meeting, the, this right. beginning of the year of faith, primarily because Pope Benedict 
really has fashion for all of us, especially in this call for the Synod of the New Evangelization, mm. to first begin with our own relationship right. with the person of Jesus Christ. That's correct. And how beautiful that he really has led by example in his own his own reflection. Absolutely. The person of Jesus Christ is absolutely central for, for Benedict. And the person of Jesus Christ is absolutely central in this book as well. In fact, the whole point of the book is that whereas a lot of biblical scholars have sort of cut up the Gospels, mm-hmm. cut and pasted, leaving a few scraps, yeah. uh, he says that uh, if you approach the Gospels without prejudices, you realize that you can't do that. You have to put the scissors away. uh, And you have to, first of all, see. And what you see is a person. And he uses an interesting term that translated as figure, which sounds sort of odd in English. But the point of it is that it's a, there's a unified whole, a beautiful, luminous whole, which can't be cut up into pieces. That's not to say that it's simplistic. There's a, mm-hmm. there's a great wealth of aspects to that figure. It's kind of like a, good, a, a, a very fine wine or a beautiful diamond with many facets, but it's one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Lord is one and can't be... Uh, and can't be divided up. And that intuition is really central, governs the, 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 the entire book, I'd say. Many people who have begun reading Pope Benedict XVI, right. and they've used this first book, yeah. on the, the Life of Jesus of Nazareth, have said that, wow, he's so deep. Yeah. And as the person who has translated those words, he's very particular in what he chooses because each word has an important meaning. Absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, that's actually a general rule to keep in mind when you're reading people of the stature of Benedict. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're not writing newspaper articles. I don't mean to give offense, but you read a newspaper article to get the point, to get the information. You don't remember the words afterwards. You don't ponder them. That's not the way this book is written. This book isn't written as a newspaper article. It's written in such a way that uh, the words matter. In order to get the message, you've got to think about the words. You've got to sort of savor them, uh, as it were. And to me, that's the mark of, of a great author. A great author is one whose meaning you don't want to separate from the way that they deliver the meaning. Uh, There's a beautiful unity there as well. The unity of the person of Christ is reflected in the the unity between, let's say, form and content in the book itself. And that's one of the ways in which you see how Pope Benedict's whole personality has been shaped by the Catholic tradition in the deepest possible way. He's given himself completely to God in the church, and and that gift has 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 made him one. He's has given him a unity by virtue of contact with the one Christ, the one Lord. 
So there's a beautiful coherence to the whole thing, which is just, uh, which is something that people should discover. I hope listeners won't be scared by the somewhat scholarly kind of side of the book. We'll have the courage to sort of uh, to, to stick with it because the rewards that they'll get from reading it will be greater than those that you would get from a typical sort of scholarly book about, you know, biblical interpretation. I love the fact that you use the word beautiful. Yeah. Because that is a word that he values so highly, and that's, that's beauty. That's correct. And he has spoken so beautifully, to use that word, yeah. about art, that's right. uh, certain types of music. Yeah, and plays uh, himself. Exactly. Piano. All those things. He sees it, it is the beauty that it flows from God. And even in his writings, there's such, uh, he's so prolific, and yet there's such that beautiful That's right. element to what he writes. It's almost you've got to stop, pause, and really reflect like those, like a Mozart piece or a, a Marc Chagall exactly. painting. Absolutely, Chris. I think that's a wonderful that's a wonderful insight about his work. Benedict is brilliant, but he's not at all a kind of dry as dust sort of professor, even though he was a professor and he was a great professor. But this stuff is all really real for him, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And so, and his attention is always focused on what's really essential, what really matters. And that gives a simplicity to his writing and also a kind of light, you know. And it seems to me that when you put simplicity and light together, you get something very much like beauty, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that when we say that there's a beauty to his writing, we don't just mean that he writes well or something like that. He's mm-hmm. got a nice style. Plenty of people have a good style. There's something more. And when I say beauty or wonderful when I use words like that, I'm trying to sort of stammer out what that more is, what that extra dimension is, what that there's a kind of splendor, if you will, that sort of shines forth from, from his... Marry that to expressing the sacred, and then you really have someone who is not only practicing Lectio Divina, right. but one who is guiding us through it. I absolutely, absolutely. That that's the point. He offers us a kind of writing, a kind of text that is not, again, just there for information. It isn't even just there to argue out a thesis, which then other scholars will uh, have their say about. It's there above all to help us encounter and understand. And that's important. I mean, he is a man of the intellect. But then every human being wants to understand, uh, mm-hmm. not just the, the sort of the, the scholars. So the purpose of the writing is, for, is to make us encounter and to help us encounter and understand the subject that he's talking about. Again, it's real for him, and he makes it real for us. And because the reality that he's dealing with is so big and so rich, you've got to take it slow. You can race through an internet page that you know that gives you the information that you need mm-hmm. in 20 seconds but 
not only can't you do that with with writing like Benedict's, but you don't want to, because that would be missing the point. I mean, that would sort of be like, again, to use the example of wine, that would sort of be like guzzling wine, as a, you know, a $500 bottle of wine as fast as you possibly could. Why would you want to do that? Why mm -hmm. wouldn't you want to take it slow, enjoy it, enjoy it with somebody else? I mean, these are also works that uh, uh, you can talk about with other people very fruitfully. They're great for reading groups and discussions, precisely because there is so much content. And uh, it, as you said, to do any of that would be essentially a crime, and someone's obviously doing that in the background if here. Somebody's, if somebody's <laughs> doing that in the background, that, that's right. It may be somebody who's running away with a $500 bottle Well, it's Rome, isn't it? Yeah, you're going to have exactly, that sound. Exactly. And I, I think that it's so important why we're bringing all of this up right now in the context of what Pope Benedict is imploring us to do mm. is in this new evangelization, in this year of faith, to reconnect, first and foremost, ourselves with the person of Jesus Christ. That is absolutely essential, because if we don't do that, then what do we have, right? Mm -hmm. That reminds me of a section in the book, of, of volume one, I should say, of Jesus of Nazareth, where uh, the Pope talks about the temptations of the Lord in the desert. Uh, and at a certain point, he sort of reflects on the contemporary world and says the problem with the contemporary world is that we want a God who will do stuff for us. And if he doesn't do stuff for us, then we don't believe he exists. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's so important. It's related to what you say because Jesus is our God, right? I mean, mm -hmm. he's the, you know, in him... The, the eternal Son is incarnate, and in the Son, the Father and the Holy Spirit are present. So to talk about Jesus and to talk about God, it's very, you know, mm -hmm. we're talking about the same thing ultimately. So the point being that that's totally the wrong question. That's totally missing the point. The point is God is. The point is Jesus is and is Lord, and the very first thing is to recognize that. And recognize that, recognizing that means exactly what you say, uh, entering into a relationship. Not, though, a relationship where I'm the one who dictates the terms. Mm -hmm. It's a relationship that God starts. So this focus on God, this focus on the person of Jesus Christ, not because they solve problems for us or do stuff for us or make us feel better or even explain things for us, but because they are who they are and what they are. That's absolutely essential for Benedict. Because if we, if we don't do that, then we also miss out on what we are because we're made for God, right? Mm -hmm. So if we miss out on recognizing God just for his own sake, we actually miss out on ourselves. We mm -hmm. actually sell ourselves short. Mm-hmm. In translating his work, what stands out for you as far as... Well, what shines for him is precisely the person of Christ. There's a, a wholeness that resists being cut up. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, scissors are no good, actually. Um, Rather than scissors, you need eyes because then you can see 
what's in front of us, which is to say this person who is completely unique, Jesus, who is completely whole, um, who can't be reduced to anything less than himself, who can't be trans, who can't be sort of translated or or substituted by anything else, but just is radiantly himself. And I think there is a radiance there. There is a shining forth. And Benedict has seen that light. And that's exactly the light that we see even in the way Benedict writes. I mean, the light kind of, you know, suffuses everything, including the way he writes, you know, and that's what shines for him, I think. He's a surprising man in, in many ways, especially for America. Maybe you recall as well when he came to our country and everybody had expectations. Yeah. He was the tough pope. He disarmed everyone with his humility. Absolutely. Including the media. Absolutely. Uh, yes, I, that's absolutely right. I mean, Benedict uh, is not who the media think he is. He's not who most people who have listened to the media think he is. In fact, what you just said is really a key point. He's humble. It, when he was prefect of the doctrine of the of the congregation for the doctrine of the faith, I mean, when he had to take an unpopular position, uh, he didn't do that because of his personality. I mean, that's ridiculous, mm-hmm. actually. I mean, when you think about it, that 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 claim could be even that that claim could be made as if it were a question of sort of, you know, he loves imposing his personality. He doesn't at all. The point is that he does what he's asked to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was serving the church. He was serving Pope John Paul II. He was serving the Catholic faith. Uh, he was doing what he had to do in all humility because he wanted to serve. And it's just, it, he does the exact same thing now as Pope. He does what he's asked to do uh, because that's the point. The Pope uh, is not a dictator. The Pope is really is the servant of the servants of God. And Benedict knows that from tip to toe. So it's the humility of a great man, but also of a great man of the church who understands what it means to be at the service of something much, much bigger than yourself. I mean, there's no politician today in the world Mm -hmm. who can come even close to Benedict in terms of understanding what it means to be at the service of the common good. There's no politician in the world today. There's no other leader in the world today on that level who understands what it means to, to disappear into the service of the common good in the same way that Benedict does. None. Mm. Well, he learned it from that person he has come to know so well. That is absolutely right. That's absolutely right. He's a follower of Jesus Christ. Before we met today, yes. uh, at, I had the opportunity right across the street, essentially, right. is the beautiful church of St. Agnes. That's correct. Outside the walls. And having the, just the, the, the blessing of being able to go down those steps to the crypt where that young girl so long ago, yeah. now the, her remains now lie yeah. after 
what, 1,700 years oh, at, gosh, least, at least, maybe longer? Yeah. Yeah. And there next to this, this humble, quiet place are, uh, uh, is a prayer that is said that you could enter into if you wanted to. And it says, and essentially at the very end, help me to respond to his fidelity. Exactly. And I, exactly. wow, isn't that the your faith? Isn't that what we're called to do is to respond? That's right. That's right. And exactly what you say to respond to his fidelity. Mm-hmm. So Christ is faithful first to the father, but then also to, to us really, you know, I mean, how many, how often we betray and so forth. And yet, I mean, he comes back with his grace. I mean, uh, and Benedict has spent his life um, contemplating that fidelity and learning from it and trying to imitate it mm-hmm. as best he can. And I think that's that's what we see again: his humility. Uh, it doesn't think it doesn't mean that he thinks meanly of himself. It means that he doesn't think of himself at all. It means that uh, he thinks about uh, what he's been asked to do, just like Jesus did. Jesus certainly didn't think meanly of himself. I mean, it would have been monstrous for the Son of God to think meanly of himself. But he didn't think about himself. He thought about the Father and what he and what the Father had asked him to do, because he came not to do his own will, but the will of the one who sent him. And Benedict has, as again, has spent his life watching. Christ do that uh, and watching the great men of the church and women of the church in the past and in the present do that uh, and has said that's what I want for my life and that's what he's done and that's that's the beauty that's the beauty of the man and that 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 gives a unity to all the other aspects you know the love of art his his you know his genius and his learning all of that is integrated by that very, very simple point. Mm. I wish we had more time to talk about this too. particular subject. I do and, too. But uh, I would ask you, any final thoughts on Pope Benedict and on the opportunity for us to be able to enter into Jesus of Nazareth? Well, maybe I'll 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 take the the last point that you you mentioned, uh, just entering into the book. I think, first of all, I would say try to enter in. So, those who haven't read it uh, or have, who have only read part of it, I would encourage to to pick it up. And the first few pages, where he kind of lays out the lay of the land, are are a little bit difficult. Don't let that deter you, because once you get, I'm thinking particularly of the first volume, actually, when I say that, when you, because once you, once he gets going, it's, it, it, he takes you along, uh, even if this or that detail may be difficult, or this or that reference may be difficult, his aim is not to make things hard for the reader, on the contrary, is his reader, his aim is to help the reader find Jesus of Nazareth. And so I think that what I would say is just pick up the book, don't be discouraged by initial difficulties, and let the Pope guide you. Read slowly, read meditatively, uh, and I think that that reading will be very rewarding. Start with that encounter first. 
then go to the catechism, then go to all those other things. Exactly. It, it, all, it will make all the rest of it make sense. That's right. That's right. Oh, Adrian, I do. And I look forward to the work that we'll be doing on other projects as well. I look forward to that too, Chris. It'll, it'll be a lot of fun. With Dr. Adrian Walker, we've gone inside the pages of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI's Jesus of Nazareth. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to Ignatius.com, the website for its publisher, Ignatius Press, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit DiscerningHearts.com, or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Inside the Pages, Insights from Today's Most Compelling Authors.